Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jed Talks. My name is Jess Shepard, and I am your host. Today, I have writer, producer, director Neil Marshall with me. He has made some of the best British horror movies you could ever ask for. Dog Soldiers specifically is probably the best werewolf movie of the last 30 years. Hello, Neil. How are you and how are things going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, glad to be on the show. Thank you very much for asking me. No worries. And where I kind of like to start usually is how did you get into filmmaking? There are people out there who are kind of on the first steps in in, in the industry. Um, How did you do it? You were born in Newcastle. We discussed off air. What what happened after that? (laughs) Well, I mean, you say it's like Newcastle seems like a long way from Hollywood. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, But when I tell a story, it sounds like such a cliche now because it's like it's been told so many times by so many different filmmakers. And it's kind of all, especially from... Uh, filmmakers of my generation um, that there's, that's one version of the story there's a new version of the story now but it's really just the technology that's changed it's essentially the same story so I mean you know when I was in my I'm wearing my Star Wars t-shirt it's like Brilliant. When I, was, I remember <laughs> seeing Star Wars for the first time in the cinema when I was like eight years old seven years old eight years old and um, and that, that that made me fall in love with movies and going to the cinema you know, that experience, you know, at that age was just like so impactful. Mm-hmm. But then it was like later on, uh, when I was 11, I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark at cinema. And I also saw the making of Raiders on television at the same time. And I was able to put the two things together and kind of go, oh, okay. So that's what it's all about. And I knew I had to direct movies at that point. So myself and, and my best friend, uh, Mike Johnson, um, who now is, 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 a very successful writer. He did Sherlock Holmes and Pompeii and a number of other things going on. Uh, but back then, we were both just a couple of, of you know geeky teenagers in Newcastle. Uh, but his mom had a, a Super 8 camera. And uh, and we got hold of that and literally just started making films. Got hold of some film. And I think I was also like heavily into sort of special effects and things at the time. So I was doing a lot of like building miniatures and and trying to figure out how to blow stuff up and and doing makeup effects and and things like that as well as like both of us wanting to write both of us directing both of us you know t- taking turns in front of the camera with terrible results of course um <laughs> but you know that's the that's the learning process and we just got out there and did it and made a lot of mistakes but you know learned the process hands-on um so that was like my, my whole sort of teenage years were spent either getting drunk or making movies or both. Um, and then uh, eventually went to film school, um, which was also in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Art College in Newcastle followed by a, a film, a media, media course there, media production at what was Newcastle Polytechnic, I think is now the University of Northumberland, something like that. Um, and uh, did three years there. And it was... It was okay. It was, certainly wasn't the best film school I've ever seen, but uh, it, it, it had the equipment allowed you to to get there and do it, you know. And I made my uh, my final film there was a twenty minute zombie movie, a zombie comedy called Brain Death, um, which, <laughs> uh, unlike everybody else's graduation films, mine was like violent and gory and full of explosions and machine guns and you know zombies heads blowing up and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun, and. Um, and that led me to get noticed by some local filmmakers, uh, actually a director, a successful director now called Barrett Naluri and a producer called Richard Johns. Uh, 
kind of brought me into their fold in order to start editing for them. Because uh, they were wanting to, they were kind of like a few years ahead of me on the on the ladder of wanting to get into the film business. Yeah, and so I started working with them as, as I did storyboard artists. I was editor. I was just a, a writer. I was all sorts of things there. And uh, in 1995, we all sat down together and said, "Well, why don't we just try and do a feature film?" And you know, um, we'll tr- sort of defer everybody's payments and stuff like that. You know, the usual way. Yeah, we managed to to get together a group of incredibly talented people and and make this this make this this film that I co-wrote and I edited and I did about five other jobs on, like everybody on it really, um, and uh, that was called Killing Time, set mm-hmm. in Newcastle. Was this action thriller thing, fairly terrible, but um, <laughs> and Barrett would Barrett directed it and and you know and I was involved with that and myself and, a, and another friend from film school were on board that a guy called Keith Bell, who was one of the producers on it. And he and I sat down on set one day, literally watching chaos ensue because that, that production was like a walking disaster zone. I mean, so much kind of went wrong in it. We had to, we had crew members getting mugged. We had, uh, we had to evacuate one location because a riot broke out and all these kids started trying to nick the camera gear. And, uh, it was a rough part of Newcastle. And, um, (laughs) And, you know, just so much stuff went wrong, but we learned, we learned day by day by day. And I think it was like a three week shoot or a four week shoot, whatever it was, but we learned so much. And myself and Keith sat down and said, I think we can do this ourselves and do it where people get paid when it's done properly. And we make a, you'll make a really good movie out of it. And the seeds of dog soldiers were born then. Uh, that was in 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be another six years of writing and, trying to raise money and having various false starts uh, before we actually got Dog Soldiers made. Um, and then it was kind of off to the races after that. So yeah, and yeah it was a journey, that's for sure. Yeah, because I can see you you edited a bunch of short films as well. But yeah. it was, Dog Soldiers was your, your debut feature film as, as director, right? Yeah, uh, I, I managed to direct a few shorts and mm-hmm. edited a bunch of stuff. Uh, I was, you know, any, any opportunity to direct I could get, I was, I was taking. And at that time there was a small kind of TV industry in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was opportunities to do like a little half hour on TV or something like that or, or something. So it was anything we could do really. Um, and editing as well was, was incredibly useful tool to have at my disposal when going as, as a director. I think, I think every director should learn to edit, you know, just, just to uh, understand uh, what it is they need and don't need a little bit better, especially when you're not in a position to just like shoot for days and days and days and days. You've got to be specific about what you're filming when you're on a limited budget, a limited time. Um, that really helps. So you can kind of pre-edit it in your mind in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that was that was kind of how it all, all began. And, and with Dog Soldiers, uh, like I said in the intro, you have a film that's genuinely beloved by, by horror film fans. Like, I'm always seeing dog soldiers in list of the 10 best British horrors ever. Always, it's always in the top five best werewolf movies ever uh-huh. because werewolf movies are so hard to do, um, especially when it's a slightly lower budget because you obviously have to factor in the, the effects and it's hard to skimp on, 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 because people expect certain things, the werewolf movies, they expect a transformation scene. They, ex- they expect eventually seeing the fully formed werewolf, 
Yeah. Uh, going into that, I mean, how did was, you do that? <laughs> uh, well, with great difficulty. I mean, that's why it took, <laughs> it took six years because the, this, you know, the British establishment was not interested in doing horror, anything commercial, anything action. You know, it was like there was it was that was not what the British filmmakers were doing at that time, or the, mm. or the film industry was doing. So we got right rejected by every source of finance in the UK. Uh, and one of the biggest things they held at us was that it was way too ambitious for a first feature. And it was that at the time, um, the zombie craze hadn't really kicked off yet, mm-hmm. but was coming soon. Um, and, you know, vampires had li- literally been done to death. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but with them, it's like, okay, for a zombie, like, you know, you can stick some porridge to somebody's face or with a vampire, it's get some false teeth or something like that. You know, they're pretty easy to do, but werewolves are hard to do. Uh, but I knew that going in. It was like, but that's what I wanted to do because there weren't many werewolf movies getting made and yeah. and certainly not any British werewolf movies getting made. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and and we just kept on pushing and pushing and pushing until somebody, this American uh, millionaire, uh, happened to stumble upon some artwork that we'd done um, and wanted to, and he loved werewolf movies too and wanted to finance one. Wow. Um, and he stepped up and, and financed the movie and it was just, it was just, you know, those those lucky things that happen um but yeah it certainly wasn't easy <laughs> that, that's interesting because i think still now the british people who hold the purse strings are still a little bit anti-horror like there's barely any british horror films that kind of make that mainstream crossover to to like america like most of the british horror films that get made here uh, often just kind of disappear and you see it when you're when you're in asda you see you see the dvd on the on on the shelf and you go oh that's a british horror movie about vampires or something so and yeah it's, it's not it's, changed it's, it's, real betra- it's a betrayal of our roots really 100 percent. yeah um and aside from like hammer and stuff like that it's like mary shelley and people oh, you know it's like horror runs deep in the british psyche and and we're good at it and yeah. for an industry to be like this, this snobbish attitude toward horror when horror is actually a really smart genre and yeah. when done well can say things about the world and society or whatever that other genres just don't dare touch mm-hmm. it's like that's that's it's real ignorance on their part i think 100 percent, yeah and, uh, and there's a reason why all of the biggest directors in the world have made their start with horror films because that genre is the genre that speaks to them the most and it's the most interesting the most transgressive and it's my, my favorite genre and, and it's kind of why i wanted to make films i wanted to make films like the films I loved growing up. But yeah, with, with Dog Soldiers, what was your kind of initial thought after you'd, you'd wrapped? You'd, did you think, okay, this is going to go the usual British route of hardly anyone seeing it? What, 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 were, you, what were your thoughts uh, after you'd actually wrapped a British horror film, your debut film? I think I was blessed with naivety at that time. <laughs> a certain innocence of like, I really hadn't taken that into account. I hadn't thought about that. It was just about making the movie. Um, and then... Thankfully, like Pathé stepped on board pretty quickly. Um, so we didn't, we didn't have time to stop and think, oh God, nobody's going to buy the film. It was like Pathé got on board almost immediately yeah. um, once they'd seen a version of it. Um, so I didn't really have time to worry about that then. But also, you know, the, the industry was, was a bit different then. Um, theatrical was way more achievable because there wasn't so many films being made. It was more acceptable that any, you know, any film should try and go theatrical. And there was the fallback of the huge DVD market, which was like just, just kind of peaking around that time. Um, so you, you know, everybody knew that one way or another, they were likely to make some money um, out of it. 
and now that DVD market's dead, it's like it's. I think that's awful for like you know, low budget filmmakers in terms of like that that revenue stream isn't there anymore. Um, but you know, we got lucky, and I didn't have to. I didn't have to worry about that too much. I was very pleasantly surprised that they wanted to distribute it. Yeah, yeah, and then. Um after that, you made another horror film, which is classed as, again, one of the best horror f- films of the last 20, 30 years with, with The Descent. Genuinely bloody brilliant. And like, how do you find your, your projects, especially back back then when you were like relatively brand new after dogs, after the success of Dog Soldiers? What, what made The Descent be the next thing that you picked? Descent came about because I actually... Uh, off the back of Dog Soldiers, I was introduced to a company called Celador in, in London, who were a fledgling movie finance company. And uh, uh, they wanted to, to meet me and see if I had any other projects. And I took them this very elaborate zombie movie set on an oil rig. And it was it was really kind of big and brutal and all this kind of stuff. And they said they loved it, but... Um, uh, they couldn't afford it. So did I have any other ideas? And I literally went away and came up with the descent like off the cuff wow. as uh, a, a way to make a sort of low budget horror movie, but something, but it was a combination of that, but also like some, I can't remember one critic who liked dog soldiers, but also sort of said, well, you know, it's great, but when's a British filmmaker going to make a really scary horror movie again? Like, you know, like Hellraiser or something like that. And, um, and I kind of took that, thought that was the gauntlet of being thrown down. And I kind of thought, okay, yeah. that's my, that's what I'll do now. Because I do get that Dog Soldiers has a lot of humor in it and things like that, which I like. But with The Ascent, it was a, it was a deliberate attempt just to make the most terrifying film I possibly could. And so that combination yeah. of the necessity to come up with something contained and, and scary uh, produced The Descent and... Yeah. My film host that I wrote in, in EP'd, one of the things people compare it to is The Descent because it's my film's about five female friends that get involved uh-huh. in this, a supernatural situation. So it's often can, compared to The Descent, which for me is a massive compliment because The Descent is not only one of the scariest and, and best films from a British filmmaker, it's also really mega successful. It was really successful at the time. People still love it, lo- love it now. Again, what did you feel when you'd made The Descent? Did you expect it to do as well as it did? or Because what are you comparing it to? You're comparing it to other British filmmakers who are making horror movies that haven't, that, that don't really reach those heights. What made you make two absolute bangers in it? Like in a row. I don't know. Maybe I was, you know, I was young and kind of on, <laughs> on fire at the time, but... Um... No, I, I, I never expected any of these films to do what they did. It was just, it was just making the best film possible. And essentially, especially with Dog Soldiers, anyway, mm-hmm. I made the movie that I wanted to see more than anything else. I made the kind of movie that I would want to sit down and watch. And I applied that same thinking to the descent of like, okay, what do I, what do I like about these kind of horror films? And you know, what do I want to see? So that's that's essentially what I did. I just kind of stayed true to that and not try to second guess what audiences might want or whatever. It was also like the timing was good because there was like a, a new wave of horror films around about that time. Lionsgate was suddenly like, you know, the Saw films and yeah. Hostel films and like a whole bunch of franchises, Final Destination, stuff like that. There was a, a wave of horror that we were riding, but thankfully like we were very different from the crowd and the only one with an all-female cast. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe with your film, your, yours might be the only film since then to have an all-female cast in that yeah. 
So and it's and it's kind of amazing that 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 it's taken so long, but that that nobody else has done that. I think it's great that you have. It's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, um, cheers. Thank you. So yeah, and and it's one of those things of like, why the hell not? You know, in this day and age. Exactly. And w- with the descent and, and with Dog Soldiers, you must have been tempted to immediately do sequels like immediately with dog soldiers were you pushed ever well at least at the time to make a sequel immediately to dog soldiers no 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 not at all i i wanted to make a sequel um back then but uh i didn't control the rights to it and, right. and the guy who did kind of seemed to want to go off on his own and try and make a sequel without me um and, crazy We'd, we'd had our differences during the making of the film. It's one of those things is that, you know, we'd had our creative differences, despite the fact that I'm like eternally kind of grateful to him for financing the film. We didn't get along that well. Right. Um, and so, you know, it could have been that he just didn't want to work with me again or whatever, but he controlled the rights. So he tried to make a sequel without me and that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And a similar thing happened on The Descent where they decided they were going to make a sequel despite my objections. Because on that one, I was kind of like, no, it's a standalone film. It doesn't need a sequel. But they were going to do it anyway, and their their agenda for doing it was really kind of misguided. Of like, you know, their their basic principle was like, just get people back in the, just get them back in the cave, and everything will take care of itself. That's like that's all anybody cares about is getting back in the cave. I'm like, no, it's not. And if you if that's the way you saw it, you've missed the point of the first film massively. Yeah, um, it's more than just that, and it's, and and so you know, as much as I tried to kind of guide it and steer it in some vague way. I really wasn't involved and they went ahead and did it anyway. And, and the result is kind of clear. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. So at, at no point were you offered to direct or to, to write the descent part two. Um, I honestly can't remember at this time. I might've been, right. Right? and I might've in my, you know, at that time I might've like gone, no, I, you know, it shouldn't be done. I don't want to do it. Let somebody else do it. Right. Right. Because I was off planning doomsday at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, that might have been the case. I honestly can't remember if they did or didn't offer it to me. Okay. Whatever the case, I said no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but pr- probably for the best, to be fair. Um, and yeah, Doomsday, again, another great British movie. Where are you getting the ideas? Are these ideas based on the films that you loved, like growing up? For instance, The Descent is set in a cave. You've already said you love Indiana Jones. Is it? Is it like a, like a, a nod to things in caves? And where, where yeah, are you getting your inspiration? Well, I don't know if there was any particular cave movie because there hadn't really been many cave movies by that point, but yeah. um, um, it was the notion of doing something that was like in the dark. I think Alien was like a huge inspiration for The Descent. Yeah. I was like, I, I didn't want to do a spaceship. So like where else was there that was just a terrifying environment on Earth? And I thought caves, nobody's really done, you know, y- y- you can't get much darker than in a cave. So um, yeah. that's, that's where horror films should be set not really thinking about the practicality of shooting a film in a cave. So it was like, okay, we ended up doing it all in studios in the end because it was, yeah. we, we, will, we, will, we will all died ourselves if we tried to actually shoot it in a cave. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and with Doomsday, it was absolutely a love letter to all my like favorite movies from the 80s, the post-apocalyptic movies and yeah. everything from like Excalibur to Mad Max to, to everything is thrown in there. Um, but I think I think a lot of Doomsday came up. I must I must have been drunk when I came up with that stuff <laughs> because it's just it's just it's so far out there. And I, and I, even to this day, I like I'm amazed that anybody like said, "Oh, we'll finance that." <laughs> like, like really? Because <laughs> uh, I, I look at it now and just go, "This is insane," but I love it. It's like I've seen, yeah, you know it it's 
it was an interesting film because it got kind of mauled by the critics and didn't do particularly well. And it was at that point, it was my biggest budget yet, but I had such a great time making it. Um, and I know there is a real hardcore fan base for it. Yeah. yeah. And, and weirdly it's like, it's grown over the years that more people appreciate it now. Definitely. Mainly because I think that kind of eighties retro thing is more in fashion now than it was when we actually made it. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of come around now. But, um, you know, it's a rollicking good action movie. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, of course, it's cool. The, the whole COVID thing is like suddenly made it seem yes. more relevant, uh, yeah. bizarrely. That's, yeah. that's what I was going to say is, has there been a, re- been a resurgence since, since uh, the, the COVID pandemic? Have you had more people uh, say they've watched it recently? Or has it also possibly inspired you like a lot of filmmakers at the moment inspired you to make a film that touches upon things that are going on right now this just strange time uh i mean i have written a horror movie which i'm going to make next uh during lockdown but it's not based around lockdown no i mean yeah. i've done virus movies i've done the descent uh the reckoning was set during the plague so it's like mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of touched upon that enough I yeah think. um but yeah i think there's been a little resurgence in doomsday love that, that, yeah. that's great yeah and i think it is a really really good like british movie again there's not many people like taking those big swings like coming out of this country taking those big swings and doing interesting things well, the thing is i mean can you think of another british action movie on that scale with with all british stars no there, there aren't any there really aren't any um no, not, I mean, not genre stuff great. anyway yeah i'm proud of it for that you know yeah for for being alone in that in that genre. Exactly, exactly. Skip on a bit, and obviously you've, you've, you've done a lot of like TV stuff as well. Just dip into your TV stuff. You've done episodes of Hannibal, um, Westworld, Game of Thrones. What's it like doing TV over uh, over movies? Where movies you have, if you're the director and writer, you have a bit more control over an established IP of of, of a of a big TV show. What, what what's the difference yeah. to you? Uh, well, sometimes the budgets are way bigger than on your movies. Yeah, uh, on certainly shows. Um, but what you the main difference is that you learn to park your ego at the door. And you're there to uh, fulfill somebody else's vision, which is like, the, you know, if it's the showrunner or the writer or the producer or something like that, it's like, that's their baby. And you're there to do the best job possible on their baby, as opposed to something that you, when it's your own feature, you, you know, you live it, you breathe it, you eat it, you sleep it. It's like it consumes you for a year, if not, or two years. Yeah. With a TV job, um, you certainly give it your a hundred percent every day, but at the same time you can go home you can sleep at night. And then once it's done, you're like, you go in the edit for like three days and then you, then you're done and you don't see it again until it's finished. That's with American TV. I know in British TV, it's different that it's a bit more like movies that the director stays with the whole project through post-production and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at least, at least that's what I gather, but I've never done any British TV, so I don't, I don't know for certain, but, um, but in the U S TV, it is, it is that simple as like, you go in, you direct the shit out of it and then you leave. And then what's like with my game of Thrones episodes, once I'd finished shooting them and cutting them, I didn't see them again until they were on TV. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And what, one of the, the TV shows you, obviously the, your episodes of, well, 
Blackwater of, of, of Game of Thrones. Very popular episode, brilliant episode. The, the style he brought to it, it can be seen in things like uh, Doomsday as well, the your kind yeah. of your, your action chops. Well, it, yeah, <laughs> it was primarily because of Centurion that, that, one, that the whole thing came about. Yeah, was that a lot of the crew from Centurion went to work on Game of Thrones, and then uh, what happened on Game of Thrones was that um, they were doing, they were preparing to do Blackwater, which was at that time was their biggest episode ever and the first big battle sequence, and their director uh, had to step down like a week before filming because of personal reasons, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were in found themselves in a bit of a fix, um, and the crew, the stunt coordinator, stepped forward and said uh, you should give Neil a call here, look at what he did. You know, with Centurion and a very low budget, um, have a look at this. And they gave me a call and offered me the job straight away. So it was wow. like, that's how that came about. But it, you know, and I would say, although, although I say, you know, you park your ego at the door and you, you, you're there to fulfill that vision, uh, it can produce a really great collaboration. I mean, the, the, the creators of, of, of Game of Thrones were, were absolutely wonderful, brilliant writers, mm-hmm. but they were also like so open to your ideas as a director and, you know, bringing things to the table. And so I brought an awful lot of stuff to the table on Game of Thrones that I'm really happy about. And same with the, a lot of the other projects I did as well. I mean, it's, you know, like Cannibal and things like that. They're great creators who know the value of a good director and, and let them let them loose, really. That, that's great. Um, w- one of the other TV shows you did was uh, the Constantine uh, TV show. Uh, yeah. Were you, a, and, and I want to come on to your big comic book film in, in, in a bit, but were you into comics growing up? At all? Not desperately. No, mm-hmm. that wasn't really my world. Um, when Constantine kind of came around, I I, 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 I dove into that world and into Constantine himself yeah. for sure. But it's not that's not my background at all. Did Did you feel any kind of pressure? Because you know how comic book fans are. Like uh, John Constantine is is a beloved character. Did you feel any kind of pressure to deliver it um, in a way that people would like, or did you just think? I'm just going to do this how I, no, how I do No, I was desperate to deliver it in a way that the fans would like, but it, <laughs> right. was, it was a network TV show, so yeah. I was battling against network restrictions of like, but he can't smoke. And I'm like, but, you know, it's this massive, it's a big character, it's a story arc for him that he smokes and cancer and all this kind of wow. stuff. It's really important. So how can you have him not smoke? Oh, he can't drink either. Oh, he can't swear. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> and, you know, it came a point that myself and you know David Goyer as well, who was, behind the show just like realized they were fighting a losing battle. It was like, that was not the place for John Constantine was network TV. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I'm so glad that, you know, it, in a weird turn of events, uh, you know, the character and, and the actor who played the character, Matt have gone on to find a new life in Arrow and Legends yeah. of Tomorrow in, in, in that universe. It's like, it's great. I think, you know, maybe it was meant to be, Exactly, and actually, John Constantine is his look is based on a another Geordie person. He's based on Sting. Yes, another Sting, and like John Lydon and people like that were very influential for the Constantine look. How did you get involved with the Hellboy uh, film? Because if you were uh, a comic book fan, how how did you get involved? Uh, it was a project that came my way. I can't even remember how it came through my agency, whatever that they were looking for a director, looking for, and, and anyway. But I, I, you know, I got involved somehow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think now I kind of thank God that was like the worst decision of my life. Oh and, really? Okay. And I, and I probably kind of did it for the wrong reasons of like it being, you know, I hadn't done a feature for six years, no, five years or something like that, because um, mm-hmm. I've been working in TV pretty much nonstop. Yeah, and uh, I'd, I'd been trying to get some features off the ground, but having some difficulty with it. 
Um, and uh, basically what was happening was the, um, the industry was changing because of the revolution in television, that the kind of mid-budget movies that I was making was not, no longer being made. Yeah. Uh, horror movie budgets were going down, you know, blockbuster budgets were going up, and everything in between was going to television. And that's where I was working. So, but it didn't mean you know, I wanted to get features made, but it was proving quite difficult. Yeah. So when this offer of doing Hellboy came along, I jumped at the chance because it was going to be a big budget movie. It mm -hmm. was action and, and all this kind of stuff that I love. And I saw the chance to go. And, and the reason that they came to me was because they said initially that they wanted to do like the horror version of Hellboy. Yeah. They wanted to go really dark and make it horror film. And, and that appealed to me. And I, you know, I, I got into the material thought okay there's definitely something to do here yeah. but i wasn't uh they wouldn't allow me to do the script they wouldn't allow me to get involved with the script they had somebody else on board and he was writing the script and that was that and what emerged was not a horror version of hellboy at all but kind of a complete over-the-top version of hellboy that again they were trying to cash in on on things like um uh deadpool of like doing an, an r-rated movie i i had dreams of making something like logan with hellboy and yeah. uh and it ended up being not remotely that at all <laughs> um you know and and the script no matter how hard because they were rewriting the script as we were filming uh every, several people are having a go at rewriting the script including some of the cast while wow. we were filming. wow <laughs> and, uh, and and it was a mess and i told them it was a mess and they weren't interested and it's like you can't polish a turd really, at the end of the day. You, you just can't. Um, if, you've got, if your script's bad, you're, you know, you're onto a loser. And the script was not great. It was like, it's full of holes and full of flashbacks and it's a complete mess. So, um, so, was there so yeah, there was only so much I could do with it. And I, and I, and I, I suppose I did my best, but yeah, uh, there, were, there were definitely there were definitely like really really good interesting moments in, in like particular set pieces, but yeah, overall it it does feel a little bit um, disjointed, um, and it's not the it's not the direction. Yeah, it, it was really it was really a case, you know, it was like the worst kind of studio experience of like I was my my any kind of creative input for me was stepped on was was trod upon like at every step of the way so I, I had like zero creative input in the film wow that's that's it crazy it was completely taken out of my hands um and so you know and it was a result of that that just made me decide to look for my next film was well, the reckoning was to mm -hmm. um go the opposite direction and have uh no money but 100 percent control yeah uh, i managed to watch it yesterday i i uh yeah, I, I it was it was difficult to find, um, but I um, I've got an Amazon uh, an American Amazon account, so I managed to rent it from there. Um, uh, and I watched it yesterday. Really, really cool and really tied to the British roots of, of horror. What we what we discussed earlier, the the witch finder that that whole story and about like the last witch, etc. It's very gothic, I suppose. Yeah, and why this particular story? Um, it was a combination of things. Um, I wanted to return to horror to have a chance to do something more horror and gothic and uh, different from anything else that I'd done. And a friend of mine presented me this story about witch, witches and witch hunts and things like that. And, and, and his story was kind of a little bit more like Carrie of, of you know, she's accused of being a witch and then, well, hey, she turns out to be a witch and she's yeah. some more with her lasers from her eyes or whatever it is. <laughs> and I kind of wasn't really that interested in that concept. But the more research I did, 
uh, and myself and Charlotte, who co-wrote it with me, uh, the more research that we did into the real witch hunts and witch trials was like, this is horrific enough in, in itself. We don't need to embellish it at all. Yeah. And what, what if there are no witches in this movie? You know, what if it's, it's, it's actually about survival and about uh, determination and perseverance and against persecution, mm -hmm. which is a chance to do something that's relevant today, which is, you know, you know, this persecution and witch hunts are still as relevant today as they are now as they were then, sorry, in 1665, yeah. um, cancel culture is the new witch hunt. You know, it's still there. Yeah. Um, and misogyny certainly hasn't gone anywhere. And then who knew, but uh, we said it in 1665, year of the great plague. Mm -hmm. And we filmed it in 2019. And then the following year, ooh, great fucking plague comes along. Yeah. Um, what are the odds? So exactly. it made it even more relevant than ever. Um, so yeah, it was just it was just a chance to go and, and go back to my roots and do that kind of movie like a dog soldier of descent again of of being forcing your creative hand when you can't solve problems with the budget, you have to think on your feet, you know. And and, and that was a yes. way more satisfying experience. Yeah, and do you do you always um, have the kind of like urge to make things in, in, in the UK. Um, Cause even Hellboy, uh, your Hellboy film was set in the, in the UK primarily. I think I remember. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that wasn't any of my doing really. Uh, but, but yes, I'd say the answer is yes. I do have a, a, an urge to make stuff in the UK, which is kind of why I've moved back here. And mm -hmm. you know, I want to, I want to make those kind of movies again. The British filmmakers that do have a, a horror hit for like, Ben Wheatley, Edgar Wright, they in instantly moved to America and 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 maybe sometimes stop making horror movies. But I always yeah. think what you should do is if, if if horror is the genre that you love that gave you the passion for filmmaking, stay stay here. We we need you. We need you here more than, than the Americans do. No, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. If it's possible, stay here. That's what I'm going to do now. I want to work in the UK. I love working Good. with crews and collaborators and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I like being here and making movies here. That, that, that's great. And uh, just a, a little uh, thing about, about what you're going to do next. Again, IMD Pro is, is no base for anyone's uh, future projects, but it does have a few projects listed yeah. here for you. Uh, what does it say? Dog Soldiers Fresh Meat. I don't know how what's happening with that. It says you're the exec producer. No, no, but that, that was the, the sequel. I, didn't, I, I don't know why that's still on there. It's never going to get made. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there, there is there is the vague possibility of a Dog Soldiers sequel at the moment, and um, it's I can't say anything about it beyond okay. the fact that it's now become a possibility, and we are exploring that possibility. I so mean that that we'll, please a lot of people. We'll let you know. Yeah, it's only been it's only been eighteen years and all, but <laughs> yeah. But um, um, if, we, if we can make it happen, I'm, I'm well up for doing it now. Um, and, you know, so that's a lot of the, not the original cast, obviously, because they're all dead. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in story terms, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Kev McKidd is well up for doing it. So, Ooh, I don't know. Fingers nice. crossed. Fingers crossed. What else is on there? So it's The Lair, which was updated recently. So that this is what makes me think that this is a, this is a real one. The Lair. This is a real one, yes. Right. Um, the Lair is what I'm making next. Ooh, okay. um, and this is definitely a return to dog soldiers descent type thing. It's a full on blood and guts action horror movie with monsters. Amazing. So yeah, so and we're doing that. And that's set in Afghanistan. It is set in Afghanistan. Yes. 
Brilliant. And would you be shooting it in the UK or would you be shooting it on location? There was a, well, I don't know. We've been looking at the UK, like Wales and stuff like that, but um, mm. it might be a stretch to okay. do Afghanistan <laughs> Wales. Um, I don't know where we're going to shoot it yet. Okay. Um, then you've also got here Eagle's Nest, uh, which is, uh, you're down as writer-director, no other information, um, updated got, yeah, two years ago. Yeah, Eagles Nest has been on there a while. Eagles Nest uh-huh. is my, I guess it's like my absolute dream project. It's, it's a combination of Indiana Jones, James Bond, and Die Hard. Wow. And where Eagles <laughs> are, basically. Wow. So many of my favorite action movies uh, rolled into one. It's it's a World War II set, um, but it's not a war movie really, but it does have evil Nazis and, and dastardly villains and, and heroes and fights and escapes and all that kind of stuff and it's it's a rip-roaring adventure movie um and i'm desperate to make it but i'm just going to try (laughs) and find the right star for the role and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah do do you do you have uh, trouble finding uh people to give you money now or do you have kind of a you have yeah yeah um i'd like it to be easy but it's always it's always a bit of a task um, so much is so much now is dependent on getting cast attached to things. Yeah. Um, before you know, you can do stuff without cast, but then you've got to be within a certain budget thing. But something like Eagles Nest requires, by necessity, it requires a bigger budget. So therefore, you have to have a bigger name cast involved, and then that and that's just difficult. And you know, unless you're an A-list director or unless you're an Oscar winner or something like that, where it costs cast like flock to you. Yeah. Um, it's always going to be a little bit of a challenge, but you know, interesting. Good, and if you've got good material, that certainly helps. Yeah, and and the last thing that's on there as a something you might be doing it hasn't been updated in five years, so I reckon this one is totally out of the picture. But it's something very relevant now. It says Night Rise, which is about a global pandemic. The last update is in uh, two thousand sixteen, and like, wow, like, this pressing. Yeah, Night Rise was an amazing <laughs> TV pilot pitch, right? Um, which sadly did not get picked up. Uh, but it was really, really cool, and it was about uh, it was about an affliction that prevents humanity from going to sleep. Wow! Uh, stop sleeping. Very interesting. If we can't sleep, we start dying. Yeah. Uh, and it was basically about characters who run a black market in sleeping aids, sleep drugs, and things like that, which allow you to get a kind of sleep that kind of help a little bit. Yeah. But not real sleep. It's not. You know, so it, it takes the edge off, but it's not real sleep. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, that was the affliction of lack of sleep. Um, awesome, yeah. interesting. And uh, before we go, is there any other projects that you have upcoming that you that you uh, have kind of revealed? Um, um, well, later this year, I'm hoping to, after we've done the lair, I want to get into a project called Duchess, which is uh, my gangster movie. Oh. Um, I've always wanted to do a gangster movie and, mm-hmm. and this is kind of a female Scarface. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the plan next after, oh. after the lair. And would that be set in, in the UK? Would that be a straight up like set, Miami? It's set in South Africa. Wow. Um, to do with, uh, right. It's not about drugs. It's about diamonds oh. and uh, diamond smuggling and such like, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 very over the top. It's kind of true romance, Scarface. It's like full on over the top violence, you know, a, a full on gangster movie. I always wanted to do something like that. That that's awesome. And and like I say, Neil, like you, you've 
you're one of the, the British filmmakers that um, other British filmmakers can look to and, and say, look, Neil's made some of the best British horror movies of all time. Like, so there is a chance for other people to kind of, maybe they don't have the, the talent you have yet, but um, um, it's, you're definitely someone that people can look towards and think, okay, that's that's how you do it. Because you, you definitely have made some of the, the most timeless horror films in, in, in a time where British horror films are, are scarce. Like good British high concept horror films are really scarce. And you, you've managed to make a bunch, oh, a bunch we've of them. Better trains there, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. I'm, try, I'm, I'm, I'm trying myself. Um, between, absolutely, between us all, we've really yeah. changed. Yeah. The no, trick I mean, is I, I, I five girls. If, uh, if some, if a, if a geeky Geordie like me can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Neil, thank you so much for coming on to, on to Jed Talks. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, where oh, can people you. find you? Uh, well, I'm on um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Neil Marshall Director on Instagram. That's the best place to find me. Cool. I'll, I'll add you straight after this. Uh, and thanks again for coming on, Neil. Uh, really, really appreciate it, mate. No, oh, cheers. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.